Well, I'm Levi. I'm one of the pastors here at Freedom Village Church. Um, and thank you to Boston, Adriana, and Bailey for reading that scripture. Um, they are not the entirety of our youth program uh, here, but they are definitely a big part of it, and, and we love it. Um, should I give a shout out? Shout out to Caleb Chandler. Shout out to Hannah Yap. Shout out to Chloe and Hannah Smith. Shout out to Dominic Bush. That's right. I'm going to go through everybody. Shout out to Levi and Simeon. Shout out to Naomi Woods. Shout out to Shiloh Hale. Did I get everybody? Shout out to Elisha. Now, I, I said it before you raised your hand. I didn't see you raise your hand. I said it first. All right? That's everybody. Not just everybody. That's everybody. All right. Um, well, today... We're going to be reading from God's Word. We're going to be learning about God's Word. I'm excited for it. Um, So before we do that, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Please help all distractions be set aside, that you be glorified in this time, that your Word be at the center of what we learn about and what we apply to our lives, and that Christ be at the center of of our lives. For all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're all, we're all failures. That's a good way to... <laughs> amen, amen, there you go, amen. That's what I say, amen, amen. Good way to start a sermon. We are all, we're all failures um, because we're all sinners. Um, and, if, and if you say you're not a sinner, you're lying. So, sinner. <laughs> right, we're, we're all sinners. And some of us have committed sins that have greatly affected those around us. Um, some of us have been caught in a sin that has greatly affected those around us. Some of us are living with hidden sin and have not been found out yet. Whatever the case, you will find that in the midst of a great failure, that connection, that intimacy you once had with God that you desire and you love will wane. It will Go down. It will not be as intimate as it used to be. And often we lose the joy we once had in Christ, the joy that we had in his salvation in the midst of a great failure. And if you haven't put your trace and faith in Jesus Christ, your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then you stand in judgment because of your sin. And so the question I want to look to answer today is how do we restore our intimacy with Christ after a great failure? How do we restore our intimacy with Christ, our close connection with him, after we have failed him greatly? How do we get on the path toward restoration and off the path of judgment? And I think we're going to find our answer in Psalm 51 that was beautifully read for us. So if you, if you have your Bibles, please open it up to Psalm number 51. And as, as you're turning there, I just want to explain for you, help us together, Uh, give us the context of this psalm. And I want to start with a parable. Uh, We're going to begin talking about the context uh, by me giving you a parable. And that parable can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Yes, 1 through 4. And it goes like this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up 
and it grew up with him and his children. He used to eat with his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock and herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took instead the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. I think some of us are familiar with this, uh, but Nathan, the prophet, tells this parable to King David. And King David is outraged by the injustice. He is furious, and rightly so. This is not justice. This is wrong. He is rightly angered by this parable. But the truth is, it's nothing compared to what David did. Nothing compared to what David did. You see, David, it was in the springtime. In the springtime, back in the ancient world, that's when you go to war uh, because more resources are available to you. Um, The sun is out for a longer time. That's when you go to war. So springtime came, and David sent out his troops to go fight the Ammonites, one of the big deal enemies of Israel. So so he sent them out to, to, to fight the Ammonites. But David, the warrior king, who normally fights with his army to encourage them, to lead them into battle, this time, stayed home, chilling. And one of those nights when he was at home, he was taking a stroll around his lofty palace. And he just so happened, just so happened to walk around out onto his porch, look down, and see Bathsheba bathing on on the roof. And so being the king, he calls for her. He sends a messenger. Who is this woman? And she says, actually, uh, she's Uriah, one of your uh, officer's wife. And he says, well, bring her to me. And of course, no one's going to refuse the request of a king. So she's brought to him. They are together, and she becomes pregnant. And so David racks his brain. He's like, oh, what am I going to do now? I have to hide this. I'm the king. If I get caught, I'm done. In fact, I would be killed for something like this. So he racks his brain, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this situation? She's pregnant. So he decides, I'm going to go call Uriah and say, hey, come back. Give me a report, a report of what's going on in battle. So he calls Uriah. Uriah comes, obedient to the king's request. And he's going to give a report to King David. And King David, while Uriah's here, he says, hey, you know, I know it's been very difficult out in battle. Very difficult. I've been there. You should go home rest, spend some time with your wife, and then leave the next day. But Uriah, loyal to his brothers in combat, said, how can, I, how can I rest when my brothers are out fighting in a war? How can I stay home and rest when they're out fighting? Which I'm sure made David feel great. Because that's exactly what he was doing. So, David, once again, I have to rack my brain. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's not listening to me. I have an idea. I'm going to write a letter and send it to Uriah's commanding officer. So he writes a letter. He gives it to Uriah in order for Uriah to give to his commanding officer. And Uriah does not open the letter, but instead obeys his king, gives it to his commanding officer, 
And the letter reads, put your eye in the front lines, send them out, retract the rest of the troops, and allow Uriah to die. David commits adultery. David commits murder. And he went on about his life. But God saw and God knew what he had done. Because almost a year later, just the parable we just read, God sent a prophet, he sent Nathan to to tell David that parable. And again, David was furious. How could this kind of injustice happen under my rule, under my reign? What kind of man would do this? My king, Nathan said, you are the man. And David was struck to the heart and he cried out, I have sinned against the Lord. What do you do when you know you've done something wrong but you don't know the path forward? How do we restore our intimacy with God and a close connection with him after we have failed? How do we get on the path toward restoration and off the path of judgment? The answer is repentance. We're going to see that in Psalm 51. Repentance is, just a brief definition for you, turning from sin and turning to God. And there are three elements of repentance I want us to look at today using Psalm 51 uh, that have been tremendously helpful for me just in the short time I've been studying this text and I'm sure will be helpful for you as well. How do we repent? Number one, we take sin seriously. We take sin seriously. Listen to how David opens this psalm. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice there's a big difference between the David that we just read about and heard about in 2 Samuel and the David that's writing Psalm 51. Basically two different Davids. And the main difference is, the main difference between those two Davids is a deep awareness of the serious nature of his sin. A deep awareness of the serious nature of his sin. David continues in the text. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Against you and you only. He's not neglecting the fact that he's wronged them, but he's stating, actually he's deepening the seriousness of his sin. He's saying, ultimately, I will stand before you guilty. Against you and you only have I sinned. It's true, I've wronged them. But against you have I sinned, and against you I am responsible for what I've done. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What I want you to notice is that David owns his sin. He says here, my transgressions, my sin. He isn't making excuses. Oh, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing so publicly. She should have found a more private place to bathe. What was I supposed to do? I'm a king. You don't know what it is to be a king. It's very difficult. People die in battle all the time. What's one more? He was probably going to eventually die in battle anyway. But we don't see that in Psalm 51. We don't see David making excuses for what he's done. He is owning his sin because 
A truly repentant heart does not excuse what they have done or lessen its weight by accusing others. Repentance calls us to own what we have done. And and we're to take sin seriously because it scars us and it stains us. It scars us and it stains us. For David, and for some of us here probably, some of our sins have scarred and stained those around us, not just us. But we see here an intimate an intimate scarring that happened to David. He said, my sin is ever before me. It has affected his memory. It's constantly there. Night and day, he can't get away from it. Guilt and shame of what he's done, it is ever before him. And, I, and I'm sure that there's some of us here, we've been forgiven of our sin, praise God, but we still deal with the consequences of our past sins. And that's a very real thing. And David here, the consequence of his sin is a memory consequence. He constantly remembers what he's done. It damaged his memory. And David here, before he minimized his sin, and now he's taking it seriously. Uh, You might be familiar with the Chernobyl catastrophe of 1986. Um, Some of us may, some of us may not, that's fine. Uh, But there was an explosion uh, of a nuclear reactor in Chernobyl, a city in Eastern Europe. And then the reports are varied as to how many people, um, how many casualties there were in this particular event. Um, but it suggested that 30 people were killed initially. And then because, as an effect of the explosion, uh, thousands died after. Um, again, the reports are varied, but that's what is suggested more often than not. And the problem at the time was that nothing like this had happened before in a nuclear plant. An explosion and then Um, those nuclear gases leaking. But the bigger problem, really, was that everyone tried to minimize it at first. Try to act like there was nothing wrong. Try to act like there was no issue with the nuclear plant. It's all fine. It'll work itself out. It's all under control. And they would have meetings, updated government officials about the status of the nuclear plants, and the narrative continued. Everything's fine. It's all under control. No need to evacuate. Go home. It will be okay. Until one nuclear physicist uh, spoke up and said, stop. If we carry on as if nothing is wrong, the radiation will carry through Eastern Europe, causing countless deaths due to cancer and radiation exposure, and eventually will leave the entirety of Eastern Europe uninhabitable for the next 100 years government officials finally realized the severity of the situation and eventually worked toward resolving the problem. Some of us need to stop because it's far worse than you think. Are you willing to see how your anger radiates out of you and affects the ones that you love? Are you willing to see how your lust disfigures real relationships and intimacy? Are you willing to see the side effects of your greed and your pride? Are you willing to see how your sin dishonors God, the one that you claim to love? Do you find yourself broken over your sin and what you've done against God? If not, then you need to take your sin more seriously. And that's the first element of repentance, that we take our sin more seriously. And the second one is here. Rely on his mercy. Rely on his mercy. So first, we take our sin seriously. We're broken over our sin. We own our sin. And second, we rely on his mercy. And I get this. 
from verses 7 through 12 here. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Fortunately, the story does not end after verses one through six, but it continues. God could have rightfully said, he could have rightfully said, that's the end for you, David. Your reign is over. You're done. And we wouldn't be surprised to learn that uh, David and, and his other brothers in battle were killed. We wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that. We wouldn't be surprised that the Ammonites defeated Israel after David sinned like this. After all, that's what happened to Saul. So, so why wouldn't it happen to David? And some of us might think that's what God should have done to David because of what he did. How could God allow David to remain king after acting like this? And God also very well could have said, okay, you can stay king. Uh, you, you, can, you can remain as leader of Israel, but I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to retract my presence from you, my Holy Spirit from you, my blessing from you. He could have said that, and, and who's going to complain about that after what David just did? No one. But praise God that that is not how he deals with his children. He does not deal with his children, those that have put their faith and trust in him. He does not deal with his children in leaving them to their own ways. But he deals with his children, those that have repented and confessed of their sins, in gracious forgiveness and restoration. And some of us may be in constant despair and anguish because of a past mistake or failure. We are to take our sins seriously, but we're also to turn to God who is merciful to those that come to him sincerely and confess those things. And there are so many examples in the Bible of those that have failed, but were used by God in amazing ways because of his grace. Abraham was a liar and deceiver, uh, yet he was the father of the Israel people. Elijah didn't trust the strength of God and despaired, but God used him to turn Israel back to himself. Jonah disobeyed God's instructions, but God used him to proclaim God's message to a wicked city. Paul was a murderer, but God used him to write much of the New Testament. Peter denied Jesus, but was foundational to the early church. The truth is, God is a God of mercy. Don't think that your failure has left you hopeless and useless. Repent, turn to God, and rely on his mercy. And that's the second element of repentance, that we rely on the mercy of God. The first is that we take our sins seriously, and the second is that we rely on his mercy. And the third here is that we resolve to obey. Resolve to obey. And I get this from verses 13 through 17, and it says this. Then, we have that resolve word, then, I, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
Oh God, you will not despise. I want you to notice the action verbs used here. I will teach. My tongue will sing. My mouth will declare your praise. David doesn't just say the right words, but now he has resolved to grow. He has resolved to move toward God. He has resolved to obey God. Uh, Repentance, we've already mentioned, is to turn from sin and turn toward God, to make an about face. Uh, And David here is now resolved to live according to his calling as a child of God and according to his calling as a king. Uh, He says here, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. It's, It's wonderful how God's mercy pulls us from guilt and shame. We are then moved and excited to declare his mercy to others. Great mercy calls for great singing. And I want to go back to to David's mention um, earlier in chapter 51 when he said, my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. And I mentioned it before as a difficulty, and it is, that that we have those memories of what we've done in the past. Uh, But I also want to mention that there is an aspect of our memory when it comes to sin that is an immense blessing. If we forget what we were like, if we forget our sins from the past, we can now not recall the grace of God. We don't have a testimony of what God has done in our life if we just forget about our past sins. But praise be to God that we have a testimony, uh, that we're not who we're supposed to be, but by God's grace, we're not who we were. And it's only because of his grace, his strength, his provision, that that is the case. We could have been anywhere else. We could have been in a lot of different situations, a lot of different places, but by his grace, we're here. Could have gone a lot of different ways, but by his grace, it didn't. And I also like to point out that God can use, God can and does use our failures to strengthen his church. Uh, We often find ourselves counseling and helping those uh, that are going through similar situations that we went through, similar struggles that we went through. Uh, we're able to minister to them in a deeper and effective way because of our past failures. Uh, those of us that are experienced in the faith, in the faith I encourage you uh, to be looking for moments to help those that struggle with sin. If God has loved us in our failure and helped us in our failure, then surely we can love and help others in theirs as well. Uh, what, a, what a grace that is as well, that God can use and does use our failures for his glory Resolve to obey. So those are three elements of repentance. First, to take sin seriously. Second, um, to, what was number two? It's up on the screen. Rely on his mercy. And third, to resolve to obey. Um, Now I want to get to the result of repentance. And we'll, we'll close with this. Result of repentance. As I studied through this psalm, and if you remember a few weeks back, I don't remember how many weeks, Uh, But we went through Psalm 13. It was a lament psalm, um, a sad one. And as I started to read through this psalm, and as I just got done studying Psalm 13, a lament, I found a lot of similarity between the two. Both of them start in a very dark place. Psalm 13, a lament psalm, is a dark place that has been caused by someone else onto his life, right? Psalm 51, he's in a dark place that's caused by himself, But they both end in the same place, rejoicing in the salvation of the Lord. Because lament works and repentance works. 
And we see that in our text here as well. And we see here that true repentance centers us on our true purpose, which is to worship the one worthy of our praise. Uh, we've, already, we've talked about worship um, enough, not enough. We've talked about worship recently. But, but repentance does this. David's heart was filled with idolatry, his re- reputation, his pride, his lust of the flesh. Uh, and, but as he repents of these things, he is restored to his true purpose of genuinely and joyfully worshiping God. He says, my lips will praise God. I will praise your name. So one of the results of repentance is that we are now genuinely, sincerely worshiping God and rejoicing in his salvation. I want to mention one more result here. The last two verses of our text read like this. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He first says, do good in your, uh, in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. See, David realized that he had an individual sin that affects himself as a man, as a husband, as a father. But he also failed as a king over God's people. And he humbly asked God to restore not just him and his intimacy with God, but also favor to his kingdom. And we don't know if there was an obvious uh, demonstration of God's displeasure against the kingdom of Israel in the period of David's unconfessed sin. Whether there was or not, David understood that there was an aspect of restoration in terms of the kingdom that needed to be addressed. So not only does God restore his individual relationship with David, now there's intimacy, now there's forgiveness in David's life that can be found, but he graciously restores David as king and as leader of Israel. Uh, it also says this in the text. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. And, and under the old covenant, we know, and David knew, uh, that God was not yet done with animal sacrifices. Uh, they would still offer bulls onto your altar. With the heart issues addressed, those sacrifices will be full of meaning and the benefits would then be applied. But on this side of the cross, we know that there's been a perfect sacrifice sufficient for all that turn to Jesus Christ. And when we come to him confessing our sins and relying on his mercy and grace, at any moment of any time, we have that available to us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent and turn to Christ, we are restored and made new. The end of true repentance is hope and assurance of God's faithfulness and his loving kindness. So how do we find restoration after a great failure? How do we move toward intimacy with God after failing him and falling into sin? We repent. Repentance is turning from sin and moving toward God. And we repent by taking our sin seriously, relying on his mercy and resolving to obey. The result of repentance? Restored intimacy with God. Joy in his salvation and fulfilling our purpose of worshiping him sincerely. Let's pray together.